Hi, everybody. Um, welcome to this special BAFTA Beast Q&A. Uh, I'm Craig Muir. I'm a screenwriter and critic. Um, we've got the producers, the directors, and the two stars here. Um, I will introduce you to everyone. Um, first, uh, director Michael Pierce here. Um, <laughs> Johnny Flynn, who plays Pascal. <laughs> Jesse Buckley is more. Um, and Ivana McKinnon and Lauren Dark, who are the producers from Stray There. Um, now we'll start with you, because this is your first feature. It's an incredibly accomplished, amazing first feature. And sort of, for me anyway, it sort of burst across a lot of genre. I it did a lot of things I didn't expect it to do. And then it just focused on its main characters. Um, so what made you make that decision? Because I know you're from Jersey, and it grew out of something there. Yeah, it was like quite an evolution, the writing process, where it was initially took inspiration from a true crime case that happened in Jersey. There was a guy called the Beast of Jersey who committed a lot of horrific crimes in the 60s. And even, I mean, and then he was caught after about 10 years. So it really made like a big impression on the island. And even when I was growing up on Jersey in the 80s, he was still a kind of spectre that haunted the island. And it, it was, he, he almost became part of the folklore and you would tease each other as kids about, you know, not to go in certain woods because that's where the Beast of Jersey attacks someone. So it had another dimension to it. And um, so it, that was the sort of very, actually, it wasn't, yeah, based on those, I didn't want to base it on those particular crimes and that particular man um, because some of his victims were still around. It was more tapping into that feeling that I had when I was a kid. And it was that that loss of innocence moment when you realise that monsters do exist. They're not mm. just in fairy tale books. They could be, they could even exist on somewhere as sort of safe and quaint and sort of scenic as Jersey. They could be your next door neighbour. Yeah. And so from that, I sort of like began to just dig into my childhood impressions of growing up on the island and, and being aware of that case. And I wanted to sort of deviate from most serial killer dramas, which either focused on the police or they explicitly focused on the killer. And I was like, oh, there's always often like a girlfriend or a wife of one of these characters. And maybe that person who's usually on the periphery has a fascinating and complicated journey. Maybe we bring that person center stage and we don't show any murders on screen. And we, and it, in some ways I could recapitulate the story as some kind of fairy tale. Mm. And so it was like an evolution of all of those ideas. And then once I'd created those, the, the characters of Mole and Pascal that became, yeah, kind of like alchemic, where they just they began they began to have lives of their own, and mm. as much as I sort of set perimeters for the story of it being a fairy tale and based on my own, um, my impressions of growing up on the island, they started to have lives of their own, and then I began to follow them, and they became quite unpredictable in places. Yeah, and um, Johnny, your character is, I mean, it's really an ambiguous, deliciously complex thing to play. Was it exactly as you imagined it when you, you saw it on screen? Did you improvise? Was it a slightly different character? You, I'm just interested to know. Um, I mean, Michael always encouraged an atmosphere of, um, of, of play and 
in terms, you know, some aspects of that were made really easy by working with Jesse, who uh, we just really got on really well and uh, and had a great, you know, we, it was so funny because we were making, <laughs> because because the murders and things weren't shown uh, in, the, in, in our story, but you know they're the backdrop and you hear them in news reports and stuff. That's all the stuff that I didn't see while I was filming. So it's quite easy to think while I was making it that I was making this really amazing <laughs> love story. You know? <laughs> so it's quite surprising. You know, obviously I'd read the script, but <laughs> it, the atmosphere of it was very surprising when I, when I watched it. And I even had um, a different um, kind of feeling about it having seen it than whilst I was making it. I, I thought, oh, Maybe I didn't do it. You know, like, I, 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 I thought just it was a bit... Well, no, I loved that. I thought that was so clever. I just thought... I think Michael was very aware of that uh, ambiguity um, all the way through, actually, and it's something he spoke about. But obviously, you have, you have to have something in your head whilst you're doing it. And, um, mm. and I think, as well, like, in terms of not thinking about the awful things that I may have, my character may or may not have done... Um, uh, is part of potentially the traits of a psychopath in terms of being able to um, separate elements of themselves. And, and um, I, I did a lot of research and reading about uh, the psychology of that and um, uh, the self-belief that um, certain people have and uh, this ability to kind of suppress um, certain truths and believe in a truth absolutely with one person and then say something else to somebody else. But, mm. but um, I mean... Yeah, it was just, I mean, Jesse's obviously incredible and uh, it was really uh, just lovely to kind of play those scenes and mess with, and there was quite a lot of, there were this kind of mon montage bits, I think, where we're just goofing around. And, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, there's a lot, lot of um, bits on Jersey where we were kind of up against the elements in some way, swimming in a very cold sea or whatever, and it's like, you just, we just got to do what we can and, and you know, the, the camera's misting up, but we have to try and make that work by coming a bit close. You know, a lot of things yeah. that we just responded to in the moment and um, uh, the scene um, where we're kind of um, dancing and fooling around, like on the, on the sort of uh, seafront with the storm going, like Ivana was freaking out because she didn't want us to be <laughs> there at all because um, I think they'd, yeah be sued or something, but it, it, we, we were like, no, we're going to do it, and we, you know, we ran out there, and Michael put the camera in the car, none of which was part of the plan for that day, but it was just trying to do stuff and respond to the environment in a really uh, nice, nice kind of way. Yeah, safe from disaster. Um, Jesse, this is your first film. What, what, was, what was that moment like when you knew you were going to do it, and, and what, what, what was the... What was this lot like to work with? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I think I, when I read this script, I just completely loved it. And uh, I thought, um, I just felt a really big connection with her. And so um, as I started going into the process of getting it, I kind of, uh, over the, a few months, as I was kind of, I went in like, twice or three times, 
And for different reasons, different points, they were like, oh no, they need a name. And I was like, I don't care, I want to meet Michael. And then let me decide by just, I have a guttural reaction to this woman. And uh, I don't know what it is yet, but I, I don't want it to not be realized. Yeah. yeah, so and I kept the script <laughs> until they finally gave in to my bullshiness. <laughs> and, uh, and then from that, happening we just it felt even in the audition like when I met Michael we were like cooking you know we were like sharing ideas and and I think even on the audition I said that oh it reminded me of a documentary I'd watched called Blackfish which is about this killer oh, whale nice. um which then later on ended up coming back being the beginning kind of idea for the monologue so from day one it just felt like we were creating a world where these characters were living together mm. and building something all together. Um, and we kind of would meet up before we started shooting. And then once Johnny was on board, it was, and it was just, it was an incredibly alive set where there's danger in all the characters and it meant, you know, and in the story and in the script and with each other. And Johnny and I were kind of daring each other to go beyond what we thought we were capable of doing and, and pushing our, I suppose, emotional <laughs> limits. Um, what was it like when you first met up the two of you? Were you aware that this was going to work? Because it had to have this incredibly kind of disturbing chemistry between you. Uh, well, no, it's always awkward when you mm. do a chemistry meeting with someone. And I think you left the room and you're just kind of talking about the weather, weather or whatever and trying to like go, oh, God, we have to pretend that we're in love in front of all these people. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but, uh, but also we kind of are, we work quite similarly. We like, you know, say music and kind of we, uh, it felt really right, like, I don't think I read with anybody else. Mm. I was quite adamant because I really liked both of them for the part at that <laughs> point, and I met them a few times, that even if they came out of that sort of chemistry read and they hated each other, I still would have cast them. <laughs> it just would have made our job more <laughs> difficult, maybe, in the edit, and to, you know, because I just thought they were so right, and it's not like, but it made it much easier that they mm. liked each other, and it, it certainly made my job a lot easier on set, because you're not trying to sort of having to like, yeah, create the chemistry. It's already, mm. they've been already quite playful with each other, but um, yeah. yeah. I felt like it was a... <laughs> what are you going <laughs> to say? Yeah. I, 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 Sorry, <laughs> you're among friends here. So I, didn't have that, I didn't have that feeling yeah. at all. That's <laughs> I, I um, Well, it's like, you know, when you, I knew, I knew everybody I have ever met who's met Jessie is always going, oh, I'm not, You've got to meet Jessie. She's the coolest person in the world. She, <laughs> she, her re reputation precedes her as just being like this awesome person. So, so like, I was like, well, I've got to be, <laughs> I've got to be awesome. But <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 so she, you know, I, I knew, I knew I'd like her, I, and and um, uh, it's that awkward thing of like, you, you meet someone, you're like, oh wow, I re you know, re you're great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're going to be friends, but we have to talk about the weather for a little bit first. And yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was it was obviously going to work out, I think. Fantastic. Now, what about Lauren and Ivana? How, how did you manage to get this off the ground? Tell us of your struggles. Tell us how you... <laughs> well, I think we... So the script was initially developed by a company called Agile, um, and... 
at that point, I think Agile were predominantly a commercials company and they had made a feature doc and they wanted to partner up at the stage that they felt like they were kind of nearing a draft that was ready to show um, with people who'd, ma who'd made kind of drama before. So we met, I can't, only 2012 or 13-ish, uh, so quite a long time ago, and developed all together a little bit more, and, and the BFI were on board, and then um, I think Film 4 came on board over a, maybe kind of six to nine months of sort of feeding in thoughts. And so in that time, we were also casting and getting other stuff together so that if they didn't want to come on board, then we would have a plan B, and the plan B, we ended up wrecking in Northern Ireland and Wales and Yorkshire and- Anywhere but Jersey. Like plan B, C, D, <laughs> Jersey, yeah, everywhere. Um, yeah, and I, then we were very fortunate. Film 4 came on board, and um, we just had these two very supportive finances, so they basically financed the entire movie. We didn't have to go to anyone else. We had the easiest legals anyone's ever had. <laughs> In the history of time, it's great. But you only had five <laughs> weeks to shoot it, so did you have to kind of throw things in the air? I'm never or? doing that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's quite standard actually for first features. And then when you, I certainly felt like traumatized at the end of the shoot, like it was so hard. But then you speak to other filmmakers that have done a first feature, and everyone's got a worse story than you. Mm. You know, some film, they all have malaria. Another one, they all have dysentery. Another one, you like, oh, maybe some people shoot in three weeks or four weeks. Yeah. So it's, it's um, yeah, in, in retrospect, it's probably just like, it's, that's just how it is when you're making a first feature. But I think because we had, it was like maybe 108 pages of script. So it wasn't a tight 90. Mm. And there was like a few set pieces, the car crash and the, you know, some crowd scenes that take up time. So that five weeks, it, feel, it can feel really, really tight when you're shooting. And then a lot of the scenes, obviously, like quite, they go into quite complex, dark places. Mm. And it's not easy to execute them off the cuff. Um, so there was a real sense of urgency every day. But it's, and on the flip side, it did kind of, that energy did yeah, feed into definitely. the performances. There wasn't any mm. time to sort of, you know, there's so many times I was going to Jesse and Johnny, and, you know, we were, we had to make a really, quick and honest conversation about what the time that we had to shoot something. But luckily, they were, they're both of those, these guys were like very keen to sort of jump into the deep end straight away. You know, they weren't sort of put off by that. If anything, they really wanted to step up to the plate. Mm. And that, it seemed like a fun challenge. Like, okay, well, can we, can we just not warm up for the scene? Maybe we don't do a rehearsal. Maybe we just start and something, you know, they were starting at a really high level. Many times we were in the edit and using the first take because it was just it was mm. so strong so it felt quite difficult um but yeah it feel, feels like highly pressured to shoot in that amount of time but actually you do weirdly gain some extra like Energy. fuel for the furnace yeah, yeah. that scene on the um cliff tops oh, yeah. where we're screaming <laughs> at each other we it's supposed to be so intimate and alone on this howling, mm. windy... When you sort of first kiss, that what? No, no, no. When I mean, he says I, I, that he loves me. Oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah, when I uh, when I drive her nearly off the edge of the cliff and the car mm. skids, and it, you, you, you get the sense that we're totally alone and stuff, but we did it in between, <laughs> um, in, a t in tiny, like, 30-second windows of, of, like, busloads of tourists. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all taking photographs. And they, and they were, like, in the semicircle the around And they would, like, <laughs> 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 all these Chinese tourists on a trip around Jersey. <laughs> Excellent. 
Um, I really, really like the, the cinematography in this, and it's the, the same guy that did For Those in Peril, which was another brilliant beach-based... It's Ben and Ben... Kraken. Kraken. And you were at film school together? Yeah, with the yeah. director of that film as well. And, um, yeah, the, the DP, Ben, Maya Maffioli, the editor, Gunnar Oscarsson, the sound designer, uh, they were all at the film school the same year as me. Right. Also the production designer... Laura Ellis Crick. So we, we made a bunch of shorts together and we'd all sort of seen a bunch mm. of movies and argued about movies and it was really, so it was really special to like make the mm. first feature. And we'd already created that kind of like shared language and, um, about, yeah, we, we know each other's aesthetic. You had shortcuts, yeah. Yeah, 100%, which really helped when you're shooting yeah. quickly. And then sort of even, yeah, we, I mean, even though we couldn't, we had like so many ideas that you want to execute inevitably on a on a film, and then mm. you've kind of got to like reduce that and distill that to what's achievable and the resources that you have. But we, I mean, Ben was very keen to try and make it not feel like a British serial killer drama. <laughs> like our references were more. To be honest, it was a lot of like American cinema that had maybe looked at a dark subject, but through mm. the prism of a like a, a romantic fairy tale, like Badlands or Wild at Heart. And we wanted to embrace yeah. the sort of the beauty of the island and maybe film it more as a as a sort of elemental romantic film mm. than play too heavily in, in creating tension through the landscape. And so we tried to make it quite lush in the colours and sort of make sure that the texture of the landscape was felt very present mm. and that you felt the the sea always being in the background. And it was often trying to go against what the the implicit sort of genre conventions. Yeah. So there was no like added mist in any forest. <laughs> if anything, was no duh, duh, duh music. Yeah, actually. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was great to work with him and just having mm. that yeah being able to work quickly and. Mm. I wanted to ask you a bit more, Jesse, about the character because it seemed to be to, to hit that for your first film such a complicated character, such a kind of internally twisted and complex woman. Um, I mean, just really, you know, things after that are, are, are not necessarily ever as good. You know, you're looking at, oh, I'm playing a wife. <laughs> no. um, and, and I just wondered if you, if you knew how much you lucked out at that point when you, you, you hit that, her specifically. And what was the best bit for you of playing her? Uh, well, I love complex people. <laughs> and uh, I think everybody's complex. You just mm. have to dig around to find the complexities of people. And for me, what was so beautiful about her was that actually she was a very raw, um, there was a raw rawness about her that felt like it was kind of elemental, you know, and she had to turn, you know, my, I felt my job was really to turn my skin inside out. And um, she's a, a woman who was atoning for a crime that she committed when she was 13 and wearing that cross and what mm -hmm. that felt like now that she was 27. And, and wanting something more <clears throat> of herself, you know, and being afraid of the things that she wanted most, really, or, or, or mm. which is to feel again because she's numb. Um, and it's a complete gift when you get somebody who has the option of so many different colors that you can actually make choices to create um, how she's seeing her world, you know? Um, so really, it was about kind of, before I started, just filling up my mind with how she was 
what her world looked like and, mm. and I used different things to help me get into different, you know, places like music or just ideas that we would speak about that would come. Um, but with some, she was a character that I definitely, like it, was, it was intense, but I never, ever felt jaded. I felt like I was being like just energized by this woman who was just becoming alive mm -hmm. again in a scary way, scary and dangerous, but really powerful way. It was really um, complete joy and thrill. <clears throat> Actually, of course, you, I mean, I don't know if anybody's seen it at the London Film Festival, but Wild Rose played, and you star as a country singer in Wild Rose, and again, again actually, that's an absolutely fantastic character. I mean, bonkers, brilliant. Um, and, um, you know, you're, you're singing. In fact, you know, you're both musical people, aren't you? Because you've got the Sussex wit, you've got the, 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 your other secret musical lives, don't you? Um, did you, does, does that play any part, or you know, you try and keep that separate, or did you bond with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he brought a guitar into work one day. <laughs> we've done it. Yeah, we do, we, we, I yeah, feel it's like it's on our most stressful days. You'd hear you guys harmonising. Oh yeah, the car crash. I really oh, yeah. like sitting on a field harmonising over lunch. <laughs> that's lovely. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> we, yeah, I think I feel like that's something that we're like. Now that the episode of the film is past, we're sort of like in terms of something to focus on. That's something that we we started talking on like when when we've got the time, we're going to go <laughs> into the studio or something. Yeah. But we um yeah, well, I'm definitely excited about that. Yeah, be, yeah. Well, I think there was I used a suggestion at one point that there was a um a, a Molin Pascal song sung at some point in the film. <laughs> that would have been so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could release a kind of belated singer. Remake it as a musical. Yeah, I wasn't up for oh, that. No. <laughs> no, they're not singing. No. And actually, I purposely didn't listen to any any of the music that they'd done before uh, because I didn't want to. I wanted to think of them as actors and not have any of their. I don't know. To be seduced by you getting, you know, maybe having this idea that the characters could sing. And recently, I went to a part like at the, one of the parties for Wild Rose. And uh, I saw Jesse sing, and I was saying to the uh, one at the LFF in the, yeah. the vaults. And I was like, "Wow, she's a great singer!" And it dawned on me I'd never heard her <laughs> singing before. And, uh, but yeah, that note came to us by someone like, "You should really write a song where Marlon Pascal." I don't know. It didn't feel appropriate for this film. That yeah. No, and it wouldn't yeah. have been, and I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we open to, to questions, I just wanted to talk to you both about what you're doing next with your um, careers, because you are now rehearsing in a play in London. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, it's called True West. It's a Sam Shepard play. It's a brilliant play, amazing, kind of profound piece of writing, and it um, opens uh, end of this month at the Vaudeville Theatre. It's with Kit Harrington, and uh, we just... Yeah, we play brothers. We're sparring for two hours or whatever. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, some some other stuff that I can't remember. <laughs> some stuff. I did a film earlier this year that I think I guess it's going to come out at some point <laughs> with Adrian Shogol. Um, you don't need to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that'll be. Yeah. And Jesse, you've you've done two films. You. Uh, I did. Um, 
I've, uh, yeah, I'm doing something at the moment called Iron Bark, which is um, with, uh, about a man called Greville Wynn, who was a uh, businessman from Chelsea who got poached by the MI6 to go undercover into the Soviet Union and courier information between Russia and Britain during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Benedict Cumberbatch plays him, and I play his wife in the 60s, which is... Wife's part. 60s is crap, man. <laughs> it's like the most depressing time. Nobody can express anything, but that's an interesting thing to like, you know, figure out what that is about. Um, and then I'm doing a film later this month called Misbehavior, which is about um, Miss World came to um, the Albert Hall in the 70, in 1970, and it was the first time a black woman won Miss World. And at the same time, there's a women's liberation movement which basically ransacks the Albert Hall and causes havoc. So I play one of the leaders oh, of the livers. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, we need to, we've only got a short time, so let's open up the questions to the crowd. And the lady in the first row here. Um, hi. Um, thanks for making the most um, beautiful romance that I now feel a bit guilty for enjoying so much. Um, it means the naturalism of the romance really reminded me of Don't Look Now, which is one of my favourite um, horror films. I wondered if there was any, we talked a little bit about influences, but particular influences on either the performance or the direction of the film. Uh, yeah, now that you mentioned Don't Look Now, I think it was, I love that movie. Um, you think, talked about it too, I yeah, yeah, and I'm just thinking actually now uh, how it, the famous scene in that when it's cutting back and forth between them making love and then getting dressed to go out. And it's also quite, I mean, so there was some part that maybe we did try to employ with this, you know, the scenes where they're making love and it's cutting to them underwater. And I just, there's something very impressionistic and that I felt that would capture something very, that was very free in the relationship compared to how we shot the scenes where Mole is trapped, which are much more considered and the camera's always slowly tracking in or it's on sticks and the frames are very solid. And then with Pascal and Moll, it was trying to, it was always like handheld and trying to be very spontaneous. And I suppose also what's really affecting in that scene is that it's two people getting over the grief of a child and there's something that's very tender of, yeah, doing a love scene, which is like sort of orbiting a very strong like dark emotion, and there was something with this after they Pascal has been released, and then you have a love scene. There's an extra poignancy with that. So that film, I mentioned, yeah, Badlands and uh, Wild at Heart, that how it's infused like fairy tale sort of language and, and tone. Of course, like Hitchcock and Chabrol in terms of the story, and I was you know watching films like Shadow of a Doubt or La Boucher by uh, Chabrol, like his very close in like the subject matter. And then uh, actually a lot of like first features, like Martha Marcy May Marlene, I really loved how that felt like a kind of fable in a way, and it, it seemed sort of outside of a specific time. And, um, and it had a really complex female role in it. And I mean, yeah, if we spoke, it was so, uh, what did we share? Breaking the waves. Yeah. And then there were, had oblique references, like uh, me and Johnny talked a lot about Patrick Swayze's uh, rendition <laughs> of a psychopath in Point Break. <laughs> Who, for me, I think that's the one of the most truthful versions of a psychopath in film, in that you're captivated 
by this person and you find them so charismatic. And a lot of the research that we both did into psychopaths kind of demonstrated how you could be swept up in their charm and charisma. Whereas mostly in a film, you know who the psychopath is from the very beginning and you, you, you create some distance with them. You know that they're evil in, in some way, to use that term loosely. Whereas in Point Break, I, I thought that was the coolest character ever when I was a teenager. And it was only when I got older that I thought, <laughs> oh, wow, he's really cold and sort of sadistic and unempathetic. And so that was a closer reference than Hannibal Lecter. So sometimes it was like coming at it that way. Um, yeah. Um, just wanted to say it's like a very intriguing um, interpretation of that kind of genre. What was interesting to me is that the relationship between Johnny and Mole mirrors in some ways I picked up on the fact it sounds a bit like fantasy versions of Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr. I think the dynamical's there. So my question to you is, to Michael, is obviously you were talking about the original case. I mean, how much input did the police have in shaping your script? And to Johnny and and Jesse, did you model it on, did you model your characters on any particular real life notorious figures? So yeah, the, the, the three biggest cases that I was riffing on was the Beast of Jersey case that was more about the atmosphere, that, that, how incongruous those crimes were on how, like, because they were so horrific on an island like Jersey and that collision just, I was trying to sort of capture that more than some of the, the specifics of it, I was trying to remove away from because he was—he wore a mask and a whole spike-studded outfit, and he was an occultist, and, and that's it. Yeah, trying—I I really tried to like not um, incorporate the mo more sensational parts of that that case, just be because some of his victims are still around, and it felt just the right thing to do to sort of deviate away from it. The other Ted Bundy had a, a couple of girlfriends for like many years, and I was quite fascinated by how someone like him could sustain long-term relationships and not necessarily be abusive in those relationships and commit those crimes. And so I researched around them. And then the other case was Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr. And I remember how much we, I mean, even maybe culturally, there would be more vilification, strangely, on someone like Maxine Carr, who didn't know, said she didn't know, I mean, that, uh, than Ian Huntley, who you, we were, we'd be used to packaging as like, evil, but there were, there were, I just remember those images when I was growing up of Maxine Carr in the front of a newspaper, and I thought, well, I've never seen, and, and I would have those intense reactions of like, how could you do that? She must have known. And I thought, where's the film that had tried to make a leap in genuinely trying to empathize with someone that didn't know? Because if psychopaths are that charming, that manipulative, that charismatic, maybe we could all be a victim yeah. of, of someone like that. And I'd read so many, begun to read so many cases where even the defense lawyer of a psychopath who knew the crimes that they committed had, um, had fallen for them and sometimes married them. And so it was like trying to find the kind of extreme mm -hmm. form of empathy with someone that I didn't, that was the journey of the film for me. Um, Johnny? Uh, well, I think actually uh, on the back of that was that the question that Mal is asked the minute that she meets this man and the minute that they're like revealed of him being caught up in the murder is that this is a man who's brought her back to life and how can somebody who brings her back to life be the same person who can take life and uh, I, I didn't really base her on uh, anything specific I we went and met a 
kind of woman who deals with victims of psychopaths. That was interesting. And then I read a book about your inner shadows and about kind of how there's a kind of beast basically in all of us and it requires one lancing of that thing for it to come out and especially if it's like being pushed down, you know, and being controlled by a very conservative world of what is it's telling you which is what is good and what is evil, but that it's kind of, so I didn't really base it on, yeah. Well. Um, another question? There? I'm not sure if we ever heard what Michael's going to do next. Um, and also, my f I've seen this twice now because I thought I, it was one of my favourite films at the last film festival. So I came back to see it again, brought a friend who was like, oh, the whole time. Um, <laughs> my, apart from asking Michael his thing, I was, my theory is if this was a Nordic thing with subtitles, this would be massive. Like, everyone would be going on about it and stopping people in the street. And I can't understand why it hasn't been a huge hit. I'm a massive fan of it, by the way. You probably picked up on that. Oh. Thanks. <laughs> I'm doing, uh, yeah, I'm attached to a script that I hadn't written. And I'm doing the week, because I find writing, like, the hardest part. I just want to turn up for the fun stuff, which is like the directing the film. And so uh, it's a script I haven't written, I'm, I'm doing like a pass on it, and it's a coming of age sci-fi film set in the States. Um, so also like a character study, but looking at more family than a, than a romance, and also within kind of one foot in genre. Um, and then this, yeah, maybe if we if we did it more in the Jersey dialect and we added the subtitles, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it, I think it did like uh, relatively well for you know for its modest yeah. size, uh, and it was distributed in a lot of countries. So I think we were like quite happy with the release, whether it was like you know the, an explosion, you know, I, I don't know, but it was um, yeah, it felt like for what my expectations were in some ways. It felt like a lot of people saw it. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'll do the next one in Swedish or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got one more question and that's it. Because we've got another screening coming in. Anyone, lady there? Um, yeah, just first of all, like really like, yeah, I purposely didn't read anything about the film. So when I came in, I thought I was like watching a love story and then sat with like my hands up at my eyes for like <laughs> the remainder of the film. But um, yeah, just a question, I guess, for both the director and the actors, like in terms of the story, because obviously, Michael, you've written and directed it. Was it something that was very like set in stone from day one filming or was it a lot of the scenes just seem so real and raw and emotional. Was, was there leeway with the script for the characters like to surprise themselves with how they would react to certain situations like as the story went on? Or from like, if that question kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. Thank you. Did you, you improvise? Well, the well, script was so brilliant that like, we didn't, it didn't, it never, it, there was nothing, there was moments maybe where we bled out from what the scene was giving us, but this, the writing was just so fantastic and, and, and all the in-betweens were little guidelines, which then when we were there in the, in the middle, we were all kind of figuring out. That's a be the best kind of scripts are things that are like 70% realized and 30% unrealized until you get to mm -hmm. on set and then, 
you're figuring it out in that moment because you've probably tried to figure it out and it has been a different thing the week before in your head and then once you get there it's like its own thing and for lots of different reasons whether that's weather or lighting or whatever like um, and I suppose bits like the montage section that was all improvised about what we were kind of but the script I, I don't feel like we changed much in the script I don't think it was like changing a lot of lines, but it, you were very, both of you in a very, in a good way was very, you were always looking for like another layer or nuance. Yeah. Like how do we, you know, we'd do a couple of takes, how we maybe imagined it, and then we'd have conversations about, maybe you can deliver, maybe this line isn't done as an interrogation, maybe it's done in some other way, maybe you're trying to seduce the character at this point, or you play it the opposite, and I think, that we're all trying to like actively go, what's the other, what's the most interesting layer? Like a good actor is playing the 17th layer below, subtextually, they're digging into that part. And um, I think, yeah, so, and it's also like just credit to those guys if, if it feels naturalistic, like, oh, it almost feels like it was improvised. It's because they were able to like tap into some truth. And, but maybe you're right that most of the lines were set but you were like it was finding different inflections and stuff I felt like there's a lot of, like in a really good way there's a lot of space within the story for you know like you say it could scenes could have been played lots of different ways and in and we did takes where they were more one thing and then more another and i guess then you have the benefit in the edit of being able to choose what works in the overall flow but um yeah, yeah like 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 with good good music, there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of space for the person reading or watching to kind of hook themselves in as well and um, bind with the story in that way. Mm. Yeah. Oh well, and with that, thank you very much for coming and listening to everybody. Thank you to our guests. <laughs>